yeah, I already thought. Uh, to be honest, I probably already thought back in 2000. That, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot more people think it now. Yeah. Uh, in part, to be fair, because of the success of films like this. But I'm yes. you know, just trying to remember my own attitude then, and I don't think it has changed hugely. I don't think this would have been surprising had I seen it then. No. All, all these things seem to have made me think, yeah, that's uh, that sort of fits with what I thought, which is why I didn't think it was a very good idea in the first place. Um, so, well, uh, the, the film itself, um, I, I think it's fair that we did launch in uh, with discussion about the war on drugs because really this film that's what this film that's the core of this film is it wants to talk about the war on drugs and it uses a few different angles to do that yeah so we get three three basic storylines three basic oh you could maybe four if you include the cops as a separate one but yeah three basic storylines very heavily i don't know a lot of okay i'll come into it later we have um the uh, conservative judge um, who has become appointed the drug czar. Um, was that maybe that was a time when drug czar sounded like a, a, naming your public servants after autocratic? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like uh, it seemed like a novel thing. Maybe at that time, now everyone does it um, all the time. Um, only to discover shock horror: his daughter uses drugs quite heavily. It turns out, um, and he has to deal with that. Um, that's Michael Douglas, I guess, is the main player in that. We have um, his daughter and his wife, uh, Erica Christensen, is his daughter. Um, his wife, I'm afraid, I didn't know the name of the actress. She doesn't get a lot to do. Amy Irving, um, I don't think I know her from anything else. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I I knew uh, Michael Douglas, of course. Um, and this may be our first Michael Douglas film. We may, we've probably mentioned the romancing the stone before now, but um, it, it, it's one first. we may well go back to at some point because because there does seem to be this big romancing the stone shaped hole in our. Uh, yeah, I wonder if we should have watched it with Raiders. Anyway, um, we are the second strand follows the um, uh, the 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 travails. I don't know what you want to call it of of uh, of cops. Uh, on the other side of the Mexican border, trying to deal with corruption from all angles and trying to find a path that basically doesn't get them shot in the head with um, mixed success, depending on which <laughs> which one. Um, again, we have Benicio del Toro here, um, and I, I again, I was uh, I wrote his name down because I didn't recognise it for Thomas Thomas Mianis as um, Salazar, uh, the the general. Um, uh, Milian, I think. Thomas May, see, this is well, this is why I shouldn't handwrite my own. <laughs> so, but um, uh, oh yes, that is indeed what it says. Thank you. Um, and then our our final strand, if you want to call it, is um, Ka- the the Mrs. Douglas, um, Catherine Zeta Jones, allowed to use her Welsh accent. I think. I, I think it was a Welsh accent. I didn't notice, doing. but. You're, you're closer to it than I am. Some Welsh twang, so it also sounded a bit transatlantic Welsh to me. Um, as the wife, uh, surprised wife, I don't know how surprised you would be, but um, surprised wife of a drug dealer with um, Dennis Quaid as a sleazy, uh, I don't know, finance guy. He wasn't a lawyer, was he? A right-hand man. Um, yeah. And um, we also, on that strand, whether it's the same plot or not, we have um, Don Cheadle and Louise Guzman. Um, always both add a great deal of value <laughs> to films, I find. Um, I, I, I the... just love Don Cheadle's face, the shape of it. it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, funnily enough, I feel the same about his partner, Louise Guzman, who always seems to play guys who get killed halfway through the film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there, so we have these three strands, which are really, I guess, to show you all the different, um, or at least several different angles of the drug trade and why... Uh, Frankly, why none of them really work and all of them are a bit nonsensical and a waste of time and life in a lot of cases. Yeah, um, uh, the, the original Channel 4 series um, had six episodes. We have The Farmer, The Addict, The Criminal, The Chemist, The Politician, The Courier. Um, uh, so was each episode... As I understand, they... it was mostly um, a single person for uh, okay. fr- front of each episode. There, there was a certain amount of continuing content. Yeah, I may, I, maybe I would have enjoyed that. Again, those, I, maybe that would have worked better for me that way round. Though I have to, I'm not, I'm not really excited about watching a six episode in depth uh, mm. study of the. I mean, I've watched The Wire again. I mean, this yeah. this film has cast a long shadow. I've watched The Wire. I've watched Breaking Bad. I've watched Better Call Saul. I've watched um, Narco. I mean, this wasn't uh, the first drugs film either, but it, I it, think it no. was. It was a, as you say, one that left a shadow, one that left an imprint. Mm. I, I think uh, in part because it's really working quite hard not to glamorise anything. Yes. I mean, there, yes. there's nobody you look at and think, oh man, that guy's cool, I want to be him. <laughs> yes, the only people who in any way seem to be sort of enjoying themselves in this film are the the preppy white uh, rich kids who are taking the drugs. And even they don't have fun for very long, mm. to be honest. Maybe some as well. Uh, maybe Sam is well, he doesn't have fun at the end of it. <laughs> to be fair. Um, well, is it helpful to focus on the different strand? I mean, mm-hmm. the, it's fair to say these, they're all, to me, fairly lightly plotted and, and frankly, fairly cliched plots. Maybe we'll come on to that a bit more, but there were, there were no, I think you sort of texted me halfway through, not halfway through, half an hour into it, um, saying, Pretty much having the measure of the entire film, and may have been a bit depressed for me to tell you there were no surprises at all waiting for you in the rest of the runtime. It, it was at some point during that conversation that I, I realised, oh right, the addict is the drug czar's daughter. Woo, that oh, was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, I think that happened in the the TV show as well. It's okay. Well, let's start with that strand. So we have Michael Douglas as this. Um, uh, I, I think he's a, a right-wing judge. It's not quite clear, but he, but um, uh, I, I don't suppose it matters really because his. Well, he he starts off take, taking the basic assumption that drugs are bad, and something yes. should be done about them. Yes, and then gets told uh, it's actually way more complicated than that um, in a a sort of nice little montage of politicians. But again, no surprises there. Um, uh, and then he discovers that his, his daughter is quite heavily into. Class A, if you want to call that, but uh, uh, not only cocaine, but she gets into heroin during it and, and um, gets into a spot of bother and ends up in rehab. I, I'm um, a little surprised by the path of that. I mean, it, it follows the prohibitionist narrative, but hmm. an awful lot of people who can afford drugs can manage for really quite a, quite a long time. Uh, part this, part this, of this, this is, is maybe, of... yeah, we don't have a timescale for any of this, except it's presumably well, a few days between he's appointed and he's confirmed. But... It all feels a little, it's interesting for a, such a long film, but probably because it's compressed from a six hour TV show, uh, it does feel a bit rushed 
all of it. I mm. mean, you could have expanded any one. I'm glad they didn't. You could have expanded <laughs> any one of these into a two-hour film, probably. But I agree. This is. Uh, it's almost. It's interesting, but you know, I was I was brought up on the the kind of proper. Uh, it's dangerous territory in a way, but the propaganda that all drugs are uniquely evil and they were so glum and dark. There was no understanding of why you would ever want to do it at all. And, and um, if you take one of any of them, you will instantly become an addict of all of them. Yeah, exactly. And and this film just go leans heavily into that. You can have fun for maybe one or two nights, but sooner or later you're going to be ODing and thrown out uh, into a hospital car park by your mates who will then get arrested. And I just... That... It feels a bit to me like saying... Oh, I don't know. It's a dangerous scope, but it's... I, I don't know what the percentage of this sort of thing are, but exactly... There are a lot of people who drink alcohol who are not alcoholics. There are a lot of people who take drugs recreationally that are not... Um, they do not have their lives ruined. I'm not. Yeah, and and to be fair, there are people who are and and, yeah, and, and right. do get their lives ruined. Any of that. The problem exactly. is, I but think, not we, the, we only meet not... this this one small group of people who are actually using the stuff. Yeah, so it, so they can't really be representative. A linear path like that, and I, for it serves the narrative. It just felt like um, yes, it's maybe it wasn't well trodden. It was, though. I mean, we had Zamo in Grange Hill in the 80s. I mean, it's, <laughs> this is a well-trodden path of the, the junkie. Um, and it uh, it just felt a bit, yeah, cliched and one-dimensional and linear. And it had to be for him to be his daughter. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you. There was no, I suppose what we're calling for in some ways, some nuance in the... the mm. uh, in the fact that there is some nuance here, but th- there wasn't really. Um, but I suppose the point of it was to show that anyone can be affected by a drug. As you say, I'm afraid, you know, it's not just black people. It could be your daughter. And and that it felt a bit blunt to me. Of course, the thing that um, wasn't, wasn't really widely known at this point, uh, really starts to come out in about 2002, 2003, uh, is actually... Um, a lot of rich white kids in the US in particular were getting things like Vicodin and Oxycontin prescribed and therefore did not have to interact with the illegal drug economy. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose the film does... It makes a point in the sense that, you know, she uh, goes through all that and ends up uh, in rehab, in a very expensive, presumably, rehab and has very supportive parents because um, she's supported by that structure people from different economic backgrounds or indeed countries don't get that and and we do get the stark reminder as we pass into one of the other strands of the salazar basically just saying well addicts are a problem that fix themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> they all they all die again that's not not quite how it works in, in, in to my knowledge but uh, i think maybe there was a point trying to be made there that it is it's unfair and it is um uh, it is uh, uh, specifically unfair on people from poor economic backgrounds that they get much worse, much worse consequences from these things well, than again, rich th- white kids do. Yeah, a, a thing that I think wasn't again wasn't widely known at this point um, when Nixon started the war on drugs. It was with the knowledge that the, the priorities being chosen were explicitly racist priorities. Yes, yeah, exactly, and, and that is, that feels yeah, like something. Th- that... These are the things that black people are using. We can't say we hate black people, but we can paint them as criminals because these are the drugs that we're saying are the really bad ones. And that, and that is, um, 
well, I, I want to say it's widely known, but it, you wouldn't think so by the way people react. But yeah. um, it is. It's not. It does not take a lot of digging to find that out, and it's not subtle either. You know, uh, he didn't really try and hide it that much. But I suppose, oh, they were more innocent times. Um, anyway, um, back to the. I guess this strand. Um, uh, I. I suppose if we just pick this strand right to the end, there, mm. there are a few things I struggle with. This felt to me to be the most preachy strand, uh, and the most, um, for instance, the moment when... White, uh, white man undergoes a significant personal discovery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it felt the most um, uh, author speaking to me directly. Uh, in moments like with um, the uh, Topher Grace's character, the annoying um, rich kid, talking to Michael Douglas about the drugs trade. Mm. It was basically just the author giving me some information on the drug trade. And Michael Douglas, it's interesting, Michael Douglas' character had no reaction to that because it wasn't, there was no reaction to have it. It was just an info dump mm. for me. Um, similarly, Michael Douglas is, again, this kind of uh, road to Damascus moment when he's in the middle of a press conference and suddenly changes his mind. Um, it just all felt a bit hackneyed to me. It was, it was all... I mean, I'm not disagreeing with any of it. I, I found it interesting, but again, the way he suddenly is like, oh, you know, it turns out if we make drugs illegal, that makes, you know, some people in our society who might even be our children illegal. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a problem? Um, it felt a little heavy handed to me. So this. Yeah. This whole, I think to me, this was the strand that probably worked the least well because I found the white kids annoying, frankly. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> and Michael Douglas's acting was very good. Um, he's very watchable. I mean, it's hard not to watch Michael Douglas and, and find him mm. interesting. But I, I didn't really find, as you say, the the journey of this guy whose views I didn't agree with coming round to my views was, I suppose, yeah, was something. I, I think again, I I don't know where how much. Uh, you, you were aware of, you know, in favour of, uh, legalisation treatment and so on rather than, rather than the heavy handed, um, law enforcement approach in 2000. Certainly yeah. this was something, I mean, I, I, I was at this point. So it, it's very much, as I say, not aimed at me. It's, it's a, so you, you think this, the standard thing to think, we're going to try to change your mind. And if I don't think this, then it doesn't engage me to start with and it, it doesn't quite grab. Yeah. I say, it's it. I mean, it may, I wish I, I, there's a lot of films we've watched where I've said kind of, oh, from 2020 vision, this looks a bit dubious now. I genuinely think this is exactly how I felt 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I've changed my opinion since. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, so it, it, clearly Steven Soderbergh agrees with us. And I, I don't know how many more people, in, I don't know. Maybe this film wasn't aimed at us. Um, but because of that, I agree, it was less gripping. It was not an interesting journey to me. And certainly this strand was the least interesting of them. Um, uh, an- another element of this that I think is worth considering is, is the colour grading, as you mentioned in, in the intro. Um, yes. The hot Mexican orange colour grading, which we'll come on to, is, I mean, that could be realistic. And we, we've seen in uh, Do the Right Thing that yeah. this is relatively achievable with practical effects as well. Uh, but the, the but political blue... Uh, yeah. is much more, look, I'm doing a thing here for me. 
I, I agree with you that the Mexican uh, scenes, they kind of drip heat. And uh, I, and it was all done by the way things were exposed and whether they had filters or not. It wasn't post-production, I don't think. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, but, I know it got uh, a lot cheaper at this point. Um, basically, uh, digital intermediates started being a thing. Um, it was particularly used for Star Wars Episode One, And oddly enough, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Ooh, I've got a lot of time for that film. Uh, which I, I think was the first fully digital intermediate editing, so they could colour grade every frame if they wanted to. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. Um, um, but I anyway, I, I don't know uh, yes. how they did it for this. I, th- it, I did find it somewhere, and it, it is to do with the exposure. That mm-hmm. It wasn't um, it wasn't digital, and it wasn't post-processing. It was all about... Uh, I think he didn't use a f- particular filter on the um, uh, on the uh, American scenes, mm-hmm. uh, the North American scenes, uh, whereas um, he did... Uh, uh, with Mexico, it was, it was all exposed and colour saturated. Anyway, the, the point is, it does have a distinctive look. I didn't, I, I don't know quite what he did with the um, the Catherine Zeta, Catherine Zeta Jones tram, but that was much less distinctive. Mm. I agree with you. This one that we're talking about, the blue colour was so distinctive that it took me out of it. It was exactly as you say. It was like here is a thing that doesn't look realistic. It just looks a, a bit odd. Mm. And, and apparently his thinking for these this colour scheme is so as you know which strand he's talking about. So as soon as you see a scene, you're like, oh, this is part of this story. Hmm. Um, I didn't... I never got... It's not completely consistent, though, is it? No, I didn't, I didn't think so. And I, I maybe I could... Because some of the Mexican scenes have Michael Douglas in, there's E. Krasinger, and they are the, the colour-saturated yellow ones. And I didn't find the story... Particularly confusing or hard to follow. Maybe I would have done if he hadn't colour coded it, but I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, in fairness to Soderbergh, it, the man can film stuff. And apart from the colour oh, grading, yeah. I really like the shot composition and the the, the general arrangement of things here. Okay, cinematographer is uh, credited as Peter Andrews, which is Soderbergh himself. It's, it's Soderbergh, yeah. Um, and and I, I really like his visual style. I, yeah, it's very pretty and very watch. I am a bit tired now of shaky cam yeah. stuff. And I, I don't, th- that's not really this film's fault. Because I think that is probably a direct consequence of the influence of Soderbergh as a cinematographer, that it has been widely mimicked. And Yeah, for, for me, the, 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 sorry, the, the production that really made shaky cam not only universal but old and tired was the Battlestar Galactica remake and that started in 2003 yeah. yes so. I, I I, yeah I absolutely agree with you there, there comes a point there I'm like okay I, I get that you're trying to make it feel more dynamic uh, but I'd like some just just keep the camera still for a minute please but that's I, I agree with you that's not really the fault of this film that's the fault of the shadow of this film to yeah I mean we, we I, could have a delve into neurology if we wanted to but fundamentally the 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 visual experience that we have as human beings is not shaky cam, even if we're doing shaky cam type things. So exactly, just turn your head to one side and see if your whole vision changes. Anyway, let's not <laughs> um, <laughs> let's not go into that. Um, I I agree with you, um, uh, but also it's remarkable how quickly your brain edits that out, and you have to yeah. sort of notice it again. And but the overall impression is of sort of dynamism and realism which is why everyone does it now i guess which is is fair enough i agree with you he is a very good cinematographer and a good storyteller uh 
yeah, I, I, and I, I don't really want to caveat that. He's a good storyteller, and it is a, it's a good watch. Well, I, th- I think sh- shall we look at the other threads, and then I'll come back to yes. my, my feelings yes. on Soderbergh in general. Because yeah, I all right, yes, that's that. that's it. We'll, we'll wrap it up there, uh, there then. So, uh, well, let's say the next strand will be the the, the sun bleached um, uh, other side of the border with um, our two. We're really following Benicio del Toro here as Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, uh, but his partner as well, and we also have Salazar, the general, and this is really, this strand, again, I... And Flores, uh, the really incompetent hitman. <laughs> no, I want to use a bomb. I mean, even the woman who has nothing to do with Hitman and never involved in assassination before is like, wait, what? A bomb? <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, I... Uh, so this one, I suppose I was a bit disappointed because I... Have almost never seen. I mean, this is the wrong film to worry about it, but it just seems every depiction of Mexico ever is just this: corrupt cops, heat, and drugs. Um, and, and uh, uh, why do the kids need to play baseball at night? I don't. I don't know why that was something. The amazing thing where that would stop them getting into. I, I mean, I suppose it was a symbol of. Of a small victory in the drug war, but it wasn't really part of it. But um, mm. yeah, so that was that's because Benicio del Toro's whole raison d'être is getting electricity to his, his small village so they can play baseball um, after ten o'clock or when I suppose it they're nearer the equator, so it's probably more like six o'clock. Also, it? you know, maybe it's a bit cooler at night, but yeah, th- this maybe in the states it's just universal to have your stadium lit, and so people don't notice this. It's just that's the way you assume you play baseball. I don't know. I don't know. It seemed but, it yeah. seemed an odd um, uh, odd hill to die on, didn't it? Um, the, the, thing, didn't the, the thing I really did like in this sequence, I, I'll say this is uh, my favourite strand of the three. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Come back to you on that one particular exception, but um, so they they are delivering some woman whom I don't think we ever learn about, but I, but I believe she's played by Salma Hayek. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uncredited, I think. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, to um, the Scorpion. Yes. And they realise, holy crap, those guys are working together. Yes. we we got to tell somebody about this. And the answer is, no, no, you are not going to tell anybody about <laughs> this. Do not be stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then there wouldn't have been much of a film if if they hadn't. I suppose it's interesting that his partner... Does it really? Though I, it's sort of implied he does that uh, for personal gain rather than out of ethics. Well, perhaps um, a bit of both. But but I like yeah. the way uh, Rodriguez is saying, no, no, just don't. Yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Benicio del Toro here is singled out usually as the outstanding actor of this film. Uh, it's fair. I'm not going to argue. I, mm. He is very. He's very watchable. He's very good in this. And I. I agree. I mean, it's hard to say that when you've got Don Cheadle in a film. <laughs> but I agree. I mean, amongst some very good actors, um, he is. He's the most sort of sympathetic and the most relatable and almost the most realistic character I think we're given. But maybe that's my. Maybe that's me. I, I don't. You still. He's still a character we've seen before many mm. times. You know, he's a cla- in some ways he's a classic noir character. You know, he's he's the the, the honest cop the, who knows the score. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I mean, noir is it's a funny description for this sun bleached um, cinematography we have. But he's he's not a 
a novel original character. There were some really nice. I like the the way he drags him into a swimming pool. The DEA agent, so it's very clear they're not armed and they're not wired or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's a nice nice touches like that. Um, uh, but the the thing that made this my favourite strand is is Salazar. The, the guy who played Salazar just relished his role. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, I mean, you know he's corrupt. I mean, you don't, uh, the, the, what I liked about it was I didn't believe him. I always thought he was on the tape, but I kind of wanted to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he had a sort of, I don't know, a slight of, well, not quite camp, but a kind of easygoing nature to him and a fatherly nature that was very threatening. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I really, particularly I really for those of us who've, who've seen some of the classic mafia films. Exactly. Yeah, he did, but he he did it really well. I, I I don't know. He made this. Him and Benicio del Toro made this my favourite um, part of it. I mean, he he was an awful character, of course, and he, he ends um, again not a, not in any way a, a a novel character. They they all felt like one dimensional, maybe two dimensional cut out. Uh, characters to me, but they were well played and well written. Um, mm. and, and particularly here, this is my favourite strand. Um, but having personally, having watched a lot of Breaking Bad, um, having watched Narco and Better Call Saul, I just I've seen a lot of people get driven out into the desert and had guns held to their head and sometimes get killed and sometimes get not. It has slightly inured me to it, um, mm. so maybe it was less. Less interesting. Men, than... Mental note for for the Nick coercion file. Okay, check. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was sad to see. I'd like to see. And this is my father, but there's nothing to do with the film. But I'd like to see a Mexico that wasn't about drugs and corrupt cops. Yeah. I know that's happened there, but there's plenty of corruption happens in the UK. But not every drama we have is about corruption and the way it's all going to shit. Mm, I think. I suspect the place to look for that would be media produced in Mexico or with yes. substantial Mexican control. Because if, if you're using another country, I suspect that the, the easy option is to go, well, everybody knows this about this country. Yeah, yeah. it does seem to be the shorthand. Uh, and this is a film that, that yeah, goes for sure. And I, again, there is, a, you know, there's a huge amount of drug trafficking, there's a huge amount of corruption in Mexico. Um, but yeah, I just like to see something different. But that's mm. that's me being that's me complaining about this film being about the drug trade and having drugs in it. So I can't really <laughs> complain. Um, yeah, well, it, it's you, I, I don't know if there's a proper term for this, but it, it's like the situation where you you have one female character, and yes. thereby that that is that looks like your representation of women in general. Whereas if you had you know two or three in your cast of ten then having one of them behave in a particular way doesn't doesn't make it look as if you think all women are like that yes yeah that's a, that's a good way of putting it whereas we have i mean we have a number of mexican cops here every single one of whom is corrupt and on the take one way or the other mm-hmm. um, which may may be true to life but it's um uh, i bet it's not it's not always well i don't know because my only experience of it is is on the film yeah, we have corrupt cops. Um, his partner gets killed. He, uh, well, I can't turn state evidence. Well, does he, I don't know quite what you call it. He goes to the DEA, um, and the Salazar gets his comeuppance, uh, and then he gets his floodlit baseball, uh, pitch. Again, there were no surprises there. You didn't need to tell me that, um, 
that fight if you're going to criminalize drug dealers and drug then it's going to lead to violence and factionalism and uh yeah i mean i already knew that i know it a lot now um yeah. I don't say this to sound like we were hyper wise or anything. I just, I'm not sure these were particularly new concepts even in, in 2000. And the, there's a thing that isn't here, which is why, why do you need a specific guy to be in charge of drugs? And the answer is because you already have, you know, 20 federal agencies with, with a finger in the pie, each of, <laughs> each of whom is trying for their own share to be made bigger. Yes, yes. And that, that's sort of touched on, but, but only very much in passing. Yeah, the, there is a, the, the part I liked where the two threads crossed over is when, uh, Michael Douglas meets Salazar, um, and the other, uh, and where he's kind of saying who's, who's our opposite number in Mexico, and the, he was basically the closest they had. Um, yeah, which, which is not th- actually true that they, they had had one since 96 or thereabouts, but. I guess that's exactly <laughs> the sort of thing I'm talking about, but well, the impression you get here is it's just, Drug over drug barons and, and mm-hmm. factions. Um, I, I did like the sequence on the plane where Michael Douglas is like, um, right, well, okay, let's think outside the box a bit. Um, you know, what if we put more money into treatment? Everyone's just completely silent. All right, anyone, completely, just some new ideas here. And just mm-hmm. Complete silence on the plane, which I, I think was a nice, a nice touch. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were people. They have always been, I suspect, but there, there were certainly people talking about legalization, talking about treatment, talking about needle exchanges in the 90s. Uh, know, c- certainly yeah. in the UK. I don't know as much about the US, but I'd be surprised if it weren't happening there as well. Hmm. So, and again, it, it's the restrictive viewpoint. Uh, yeah, so the third sequence. And the, yes. the, this, this is, this is my um, slight exception to the favorite bit because Miguel Ferrer is Always recognisable, and he just steal. He steals scenes from Don Cheadle. <laughs> oh, you got to be good to do that. Yes, yeah, that's uh, that's a fact. Yes, um, and I, mean, I, th- I think I first first noticed him in RoboCop, and he is just. I I, I love the stuff this man does. It's um. Did uh, he died a few years ago? But yeah, did he? Has he? I did not know that. Um, he always plays this kind of um. Uh, well, all the films I've seen, he plays this kind of questionable, uh, character in Robocop. He's the, oh, he's brilliant in Robocop. Oh, he, he mm-hmm. is brilliant. I, I absolutely agree. He's, he's fantastic. In fact, uh, some of my favourite acting performances are in, the, I mean, we've got Don Cheadle. As I say, I, I really, uh, like Louise, uh, Guzman, um, who it's, it's got very interesting face, <laughs> always seems to play, um, uh, uh, someone who gets usually uh, in a in a car bomb uh, blows up halfway through the film. Um, uh, we have, um, I mean, this is almost two different sides because on this one we have the two sides of the story. We have um, uh, the drug dealer's wife, um, and then we have the the sting operation to try and uh, try and um, bring them down uh, and the the witness protection. Um, hmm. The the drug dealer's wife side of it, uh, I. I I, I, I've got nothing against Catherine Zeta-Jones, and I don't think it was a bad acting performance. But she, from someone who wasn't even aware that her husband was a drug dealer, to screaming at someone next to him, "Get out of the car and shoot him! Shoot him in the head!" That seemed like a pretty short um, and, to me, frankly, unbelievable leap. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's implied, I think, by the end that she is sufficiently aware of the thing that she, she is. Uh, go, effectively going to be a, a, a partner in the ongoing business. Yes. Um, 
and yeah, I, I didn't, I thought we saw her before and we saw her after and we didn't really see her transition. We didn't see any sort of moment of yeah. soul searching, you know, am, am I going to do this or that? You know, it go, goes from, I've got no money to I'm meeting the other drug lord and I'm saying, Hey, here's this great way of smuggling that you don't know about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She suddenly was a very experienced, um, through the medium. I mean, her motivation for that seemed to be, I have a kid, and I, I don't know. I just, um, it just felt a and, bit. And another one on the way. And another one on the way. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't fault her performance at all, but the character, uh, I just found, frankly, not very believable. I did I, like. I, I think there Wade. are just those missing bits. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Yes, I think uh, it would have been maybe that was because apparently this film was three and a half hours long and uh, sort of a <laughs> cut an hour and a bit. Maybe that's what ended up on the cutting room floor. I gather one of them was a Michael Douglas uh, try and crack himself. Um, sorry, Michael Douglas's character <laughs> trying and crack <laughs> himself, uh, which they cut out, uh, which was probably wise. But maybe that, maybe a lot of that transition got cut out. I did like Dennis Quaid as the the kind of. I don't really know what this guy's up to, but it's probably no good, and he's clearly trying to do something unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was a nice. I, I because Dennis Quaid, he's sort of against type because he's normally more of a heroic, uh, square jawed guy. The last time we saw him was in the right stuff, I believe. Mm. Um, but uh, I always like to see Dennis Quaid, but uh, even more, I like to see Don Cheadle. Um, yeah, and he was he's great in this, but uh, he doesn't have a lot. To do, I mean, he elevates every scene he's in because um, he's Don Cheadle, but it doesn't. He's, he's just a. He's, again, we've seen this guy before, you know. This um, here's here's, here's another hardworking, honest cop who, yeah. who, who who will push the rules a bit to get the job done. Yeah, and then have the, the villain say, "We're not so different, you and I." <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, uh, yeah, I, none of it. Started. And again, as you say, Miguel Ferrer is 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 good. Uh, again, he felt a little bit, but in some ways, his because um, he does a bit of um, this is the author talking now. I will tell you how the drug trade is, but he sells it. I think perhaps better than in the other strands. I, I think he. The, the impression I got, effectively, there's a diegetic explanation for his attitude, which is, you know, I, I have been this medium to high level drugs guy and now I'm having to deal with you scum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I know more about how this works than you do. I have fewer illusions about it than you do. So I, yeah, and I'm I going th- to explain this, this to you. a moral scumbag. Well, actually, you know, I have put a lot of thought into this and uh, um, it's fine. Uh, it was, I, uh, yeah, for some, you're right. It, it, and that his kind of patronising, I'm going to preach to you now, suited his character a bit better mm. um, in that context. Um, yeah, yeah, that did work better. So the, uh, the reason this strand worked less well for me was um, uh, Catherine Zeta Jones's character, I think. Not there, her there, acting, there's some, not... something old about her face. I don't know where, presumably it's deliberate. She seemed more sort of puffy and blown up and... Yeah. It seemed to vary a little bit. I don't know whether she was actually pregnant during the No shoot. idea. I mean, maybe, maybe um, that's what it was meant to, meant to be implying, but. Oh yeah, maybe that was what he was trying. I, I also found the visual style a bit less. Uh, you said it wasn't quite consistent all the way through, and, and this is the one that felt, this is the strand that didn't seem as distinctive. It felt a bit close to the Mexican kind of filter at times. Um, and I, well, I, yeah, it, I it's happening in, uh, or, or, Honestly, actually hot California rather than yes. painted hot Mexico, but <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe that's why it looked hot. Um, 
Yeah, uh, um, but uh, there are three strands, really. I mean, we we have the the perils that you know don't be too hard on drugs because your own family might be touched to it. You have the it's hard to be a non-corrupt cop when everyone's corrupt around you. Uh, but I mean, the the message of all of them was. Uh, it's probably not okay to criminalise a big proportion of your population. But interestingly, you know, we did talk about this whole, um, you know, the economic divide in drugs, and it that's not, I did that doesn't really come across. Maybe that wasn't the point it was trying to make, but it it does mention it a few times. You know that that it's um, uh, it's harsher on people who have less privileges and like less backgrounds. But it is, you know, drugs are just as addictive and just as uh, pleasurable for them, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really show us any of that kind of. Stri- I mean, I, I guess having watched The Wire, yeah, that really dwells on that um, mm. and, and the economic unfairness of it. So again, I don't want to criticise this film for being something it wasn't, but I, I didn't really get that sense so much. Yeah, and in in general, as we've said, it, it has been too widely imitated. The whole style of this thing. I think and, so. and that, that the... does this a disservice because it, it was relatively innovative at the time. So and I, I things like that, that, might... that whole scene, the thing where you mess with the sound because you cut in the new scene's sound a second before you change the visual. Yes. That kind of thing. And once you notice guess... it, at least in my case, you keep noticing it. Yeah, I, I think it, it is. I think you're right. This is one of the... I thought this would happen to us more on Ribbon of Memes when we did films that have been so widely imitated that it actually spoiled the original film. Uh, I'm cautious in a way because one thing I'm not 100% sure of is how original this film was. I don't mm. know if this was the source of all this. It feels like it was because so much looks very like this film nowadays. Not the filters. I don't mean the filters specifically, but the just the, the shaky cam and the shape of the plot and the... Um, uh, but I don't know if other films got here first, as you as you say. Balthazar Galactica really imitated. I think I think it was. I think Stoderbergh is an innovative cinematographer and filmmaker. Um, but he'd used the filters before, for sure. Mm. In some, not in Sex Lies and Videotape, but he used them in. Oh, I forgot what his other film was. Some years before this, um, he was having a good year, Stoderbergh, because he just made um, uh, Aaron Brockovich and. Um, well, he was about, yeah, then go on to make Ocean's Eleven, which is, uh, it's interesting. And, and all the sequels too. He didn't just make Ocean's Eleven and hand the others over. He, he made the next, were there another two? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was the, the third Soderbergh film I'd seen, but I had completely forgotten that he had made the Ocean's series because they, they are for me much less visually interesting than uh, the the ones I was thinking of. Um, I'd seen Sex, Lies and Videotape. Yes. Um, I've seen half of it. The, these days I, I have the critical vocabulary to be able to say pretty white people problems, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd seen Haywire uh, a few years after this, which... Oh, not seen that. I think because it has a quite solid action plot, it, it's not an original action plot, but it's a good one, to go along with the arty shooting, he can get away with a lot more artiness, and it works really rather well. Yes. Okay. Um, the the other one, I've, uh, but Ocean's done, doesn't really do much for me. And Contagion is the other one. Um, oh, Contagion's very good, actually. But like, it's uh, not. I... It doesn't do the whole visual thing in the same way. No, I, I suppose that's right. He doesn't. Um, having run through that, although we'd done the filters before. 
he doesn't just retread the same ground, does he? They're, they're all very different, mm. disparate films. Um, so, so, I, so, yeah, that, that's the good, that's the um, good way of saying it. The, the bad way of saying it would be he doesn't really have a distinctive voice. I think it's, but that's because um, he's flexible. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I think I sometimes that's the case. I think he, uh, uh, a bit like Hitchcock was always trying new things. You know, it feels like, and I do feel, you know, we were talking about sort of art, artistic shooting. I do feel that the, you know, the cinematographer here really does, uh, the filters, I guess I had a slight problem with, um. They're, they're quite I, blatant, I think is the They problem. are, they were a bit too blatant, and I don't know, I guess we're watching them on higher definition stuff and not in the cinema, and maybe it would have looked a bit different back then. But I do feel, you know, we've moaned a bit about Shaky Cam, but you, I, I think quite rightly said, uh, he is a good cinematographer and it's visually interesting. And I also think very appropriate for this almost documentary realistic feel that he's going for. Mm. I think that really does add to it and work for it. And I, and I think probably was one of the first times that had been used in this sort of way. I mean, even now, you even get sitcoms now that just follow this kind of, uh, you know, when they're trying to do, uh, since The Office, when they're trying to do this kind of, oh, this is actually real, it's not a sitcom. Mm. So they eschew all the normal sitcom framing and do this kind of thing. But it, it does have an immediacy to it, which is, which really works here, I think, when it's trying to get this documentary feel. And I think in some ways, the fact that it is kind of realistic, very, it's really trying to be realistic and quite documentary. Mm. It works in its favour when the plots, frankly, are quite cliched and the characters a bit thin because I suppose that's how life works <laughs> in some <laughs> ways. Um, they, they, you don't always have a rich backstory for everyone. I mean, everyone does to themselves, but cliches occur because they, they do happen a lot in reality. Um, and, and that... Yeah, I, I think it could have been done better by having more complex people but on the other hand, it's already two and a half hours. And two and a yeah. half hours is a long watch for anything that isn't Schindler's List. So. <laughs> well, that, that's a good, you know, when we did our retrospective, we had, um, one of our categories was hardest watch, which wasn't quite the same thing as worst film. I mean, I would have had this one up there, frankly. I did find it a long film to watch. Mm. Um, I get it past the time easily enough, but I, a bit like you, I felt like I had the measure of what it was trying to say quite early on, and then quite soon after that felt it's not going to surprise me at all, is it, this film? And it, I, I don't think it did. Like, yeah, so f- like... for me it was basically the first half hour after which we, we uh, talked a bit, and then I managed to get the rest in one session, and that definitely helped. Yeah, that's probably it. Yes, it took me uh, a, a long time to watch, uh, to, well... I mean, it took me as long as the film is, but it took me a good few sessions to get through it. And again, I know it must be horrifying for directors here that people take breaks and don't watch the <laughs> whole film all at once. There's, there's very few films in our, that I've watched back to back. Actually, Nosferatu. Oh, I can't remember. I, maybe I watched the first 10 minutes of Nosferatu and then came back to it. Um, uh, certainly, um, Fargo, I watched the whole thing in one. Um, uh, not that that matters. Um, but it, it it felt like, I suppose my point is, it felt like a long watch because I, mainly because I just felt like I've seen this before. Mm. Um, and I do, I mean, I have, I, you know, the fact that I've watched all these other TV shows that are kind of like this suggests that it, it, it was a good influence in a lot of ways. It, uh, or at least it's not somewhere that I hate to dwell and I, I find it boring. Um, yeah. It just felt uh, a little cliché to me. I, I would love to know if there were actually any connection between this and The Wire, which started broadcasting oh, in 2002. 
Um, uh, now, ob- obviously, uh, David Simon had done a lot of... Um, he'd done Homicide, Life in the Street before this. Book and, and a film, lot of background yeah. research. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the, it, it was not new territory for me. He'd done The Corner. Um, my, yeah, The Corner's very good. But my I, suspicion... I'm just really interested to... I, I, obviously, he, he was working on this um, in 2001, maybe in 2000. Yeah. But I can't help thinking that without... Um, when was traffic. the wire? Two thousand and six. I started broadcasting in two thousand and two. Oh really? Okay. Um, and yeah, the, the the corner came out the same year as this. But I can't help thinking that the, it, at the very least, the existence of traffic and it won a best director Academy Award yeah. for Soderbergh um, would have helped him get it um, financed and yeah. I, oh yeah, I, I think yes, I think David Simon was influ- was already going to write this, but it may not either. You know, it may not have found the audience that it did without films like Traffic sort of preparing the way. Mm. And I absolutely agree, it probably wouldn't have had the finance. He probably would have always tried to make it, but it, it probably wouldn't have had the finance and and the the power, uh, the 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 freedom that it did have without films like. And well, specifically without traffic um, and and some of the things that followed, I, I I can't imagine it wasn't in some even in those uh, slightly less direct ways. It must have been an influence, and probably has some more direct influences too. I suspect hmm. not that you know David Simon needs a lot of tips in how to tell a story. But, um, <laughs> it, uh, it yes, I'm sure it had some influence um, beyond that. Uh, and so, have have we anything more to say? We've wrapped up the things we talked about Soderbergh a bit. We talked about our feed. Well, I suppose we've danced around. We've been a bit down on it, um, or I particularly. I suppose been a bit down. Um, what was your overall feeling of the film? Did you enjoy it? Was it useful? Was it fun? Not not particularly useful or informative. But and, and as we've said about other films, um, it, it, yeah, ju- just as one doesn't always watch a, an RC film primarily for the plot because that's. That will not be a rewarding way to watch it. I, I, I was watching this for the, you know, for the acting performances, yeah. for, for, for the uh, visuals. And on that level, I think it worked very well indeed. Um, yes. Yeah, all right. We, we can't go back to 2000 and watch it then. Or well, if, if you are in our audience and can do that, I'm sure you have more important things to do. Yes, but, other things to be getting on with. But uh, bearing that in mind, I, th- I think I, I don't regret having watched it. I, th- I think it does stand yeah. up, even if it's making a fairly obvious point that it's probably more popular now than it was then. Yeah, I, I think we. I mean, we're not we're pretty much in agreement. I, I, I found it. As I've said, I, I feel this film suffers more than most we've watched because of the influence it had, and I, I it just felt like well-trodden ground to me and not new territory. Uh, and that's partially. Exactly as we've said, because we kind of already felt that anyway, and partially because it's had a big influence later. None of which are really the film's fault. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, kids these days don't want to read The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. But, oh, you know, what, what one, one has to admit, if one's being fair it. about it, that apart from its relatively foundational nature, there are a lot of things wrong with it. So, yes, <laughs> yes, true. Uh, yeah, it's problematic, but perhaps less problem. I, I will point out it's literally quicker to read The Hobbit than to watch the three films, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there go. Um, yeah, so overall for me, I, I did enjoy it. I'm glad I watched it. Um, it just felt like 
it felt like there's been an evolution of this, rather than a revolution, maybe this started the revolution, but there's been an evolution of this sort of film. And so because hmm. of that, perhaps this, I, I am more you. I've been spoiled by things like The Wire um, to expect a bit more of a nuanced take on it now that, you know, The Wire goes into it already expecting you know it's a bad thing. And it just really digs into the detail. and, and Yeah, and that uh, is just two years later. So yeah, uh, so maybe I was I was just expecting a bit more nuance than we got here, but um, it's still a very good film. Uh, for me, it's not a masterpiece, um, and maybe it should be because of the influence that it had, and it's got very good performances in it. But um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, but perhaps that's unfair. I, or I don't feel like it's a masterpiece. But genuinely, if this was, and I, I, it's always hard to find out, this was the first <laughs> film that did all these things. If it genuinely was the first film with this kind of cinematography, with this kind of idea, uh, then probably yes. But I, I am pretty sure even in 2000, this was not a new idea. You know, the war on drugs have been war on drugs it was at least, you know, a generation or more old by then. And it, I don't well, think e- it e- even the uh, eight, the Reagan war on drugs, as opposed to the one that Nixon started, that never really stopped. Yeah, he was the first yes. to use that phrase in, in, as a matter of public policy. Reagan was. Nixon was. Yeah, Nixon was. Yes, exactly. That's, that's uh, where uh, war on abstract noun comes from. Yes, so. uh, yeah, and so uh, yeah, so it was at least. Force. I mean, it was well. As I say, it was a generational war role by then, and these ideas that maybe you were never going to win a war on this kind of thing, and maybe it wasn't working, they were not new ideas in two thousand. So because of that, perhaps I'm being a bit uncharitable. Mm. But and maybe it wasn't as popular an idea as it was now. But I, I just don't think it was perhaps as startling an idea. Um, yeah. As as it as it could have been. Where, um, where I run into problems is is defining masterpiece. So, is it a film yeah. I'm going to put in my personal top 10, top 50, whatever? Probably yeah. not. But undoubtedly a competently made film, uh, which is yeah. not, not a universal and very influential, as we've just been saying. So on that basis, I, I think it is probably generally accepted as masterpiece, even if I don't love it. I think that the reason I'm stumbling over it is that one of our criteria is, was this an influential film? And I think undeniably it was because I've just spent <laughs> so yeah. long talking about all the things that were influenced by it and yeah I think I will concede I don't know why grudgingly I just I didn't <laughs> love it and it feels perhaps not perfect enough not quite masterly enough that it deserves it and some of the films that I've said aren't masterpieces I feel probably deserved it more but I think if influence is allowed to be one of the categories and we always have let it be then i would struggle not to call this a masterpiece of mm. its influences alone that's that's a fair point and you're right to drag me back towards that so shall we move on to year 2000 in film yes we didn't do this last year because we were too um uh oh, too yeah. in the shadow of the vampires at last uh, last episode well, we had two films so, already so we did. Uh, we were too cowering away from the, the Count Orlock too. So, okay, I, this is probably not a unique thing, but it's pretty impressive. Soderbergh gets both Best Director and a nomination for Best Director for Erin Brockovich. So, In the same award ceremony. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was having a good year. Um, I bet he didn't get one for Ocean's Eleven. I wonder <laughs> if... Did Ocean's Eleven get anything? In the I don't remember. Um... And did it win? Uh, did it win any other Oscars? It was just—I think it was just Best Director. I think it was, it was just Best Director. Yeah. 
Though I bet Benito, in fact, I'm sure Benito del Toro was nominated. There there were some minors. um, Let's see. Yeah, so nominated for picture. Uh, Benito del Toro got Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Oh, we did get it, okay. It won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Film Editing. Oh, so it was there. It was um, quite uh, quite laden, uh, and and beloved of the critics at the time. Um, uh, in many ways, and certainly Roger Ebert loved it, amongst uh, many others. Um, yeah, rightly so. Ah, uh, so what else did well at the Oscars? And Gladiator was the one that swept the board. Yeah, that's one that's aged less well in my memory. I liked it at the time, but. Yeah, it's one of the. I wasn't seeing a lot of films at this point, but this, that is one that I have seen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, traffic. Erin Brockovich. Never seen Erin Brockovich. No, I, it's, I, doesn't doesn't grab me somehow. No, well, we both, you know, neither of us have got a problem with um, uh, perhaps say Julie Walters, which is incorrect. Julia Roberts is what I'm trying to say, yeah. um, or Steven Soderbergh, but I still I don't feel particularly inspired to watch it. Maybe I will someday. Yeah, the the, the whole um, here here is this crusader against the system thing is a hard sell to me because I can look outside and see, gosh, that problem still exists. <laughs> yes, so. exactly. So if you wrap it up at the end with look at all the good she did, that's that's hard. Uh, so what else? Um, Pollock, the Jackson Pollock biopic, which I haven't seen and I have no particular interest in. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, almost famous. Uh, oh, I have seen that. I quite like it's Cameron Crowe telling the Cameron Crowe story that he always tells, but very nicely done and a very good coming of age drama. And it's got Francis McDormand in it, so you know, makes everything better. Oh, gosh, it does. I'd forgotten about that, but it does. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden it, Dragon, too. which was never seen. I've managed to pass me by, and I've never seen it since. Interesting. Um, I I knew people who in those days had the quite challenging technical. Um, hobby of getting hold of actual Hong Kong action films uh, right. in a way that could be played in the UK. And so it wasn't quite the revelation to me that it was to a lot of people. But it was very much, I think, the um, the West learns that this is a thing. And holy right, crap, it's yeah. a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should give it a try. I just never, I, again, missed it at the time and then never ended up it, I mean, it's not the best Hong Kong action film, but it was the one that got the Western release, in effect. Um, certainly was influential in its own way uh, over time. But, yes, fair enough. Uh, let's see, Chocolat. Uh, oh, yeah, I uh, like that well enough. Pleasant enough. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah, I've seen it far. I mean, it, I would have only wanted to see it once, and I've seen it far too many times. <laughs> yeah, Return of Ron Howard. Uh, it's it's strange. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the the Patriots. Uh, Mel Gibson does the American Revolution. Well, I'm sure he handled it with the sensitivity and historical verisimilitude that he handled Braveheart with. Um, yeah, there aren't a lot that are. Leaping out at me as gosh, that's a really great film. But there, there are a few good, three solid ones. Of the uh, ones you just read out, we probably would have picked Traffic again, wouldn't we? If we had our time again, maybe Crouching Tiger. But I didn't think of it at the time. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realise you hadn't seen it. Uh, <laughs> we'll I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, we will. We'll have to. I should do. I feel like it's a gap in my knowledge. Uh, but anyway, um, in the box office. 
there's, there's a bit of overlap. Uh, so, number 10. Uh, what Lies Beneath? The um, supernatural horror. You know, mm. Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer move into a haunted house. It's not very good. <laughs> I have seen it. It's like all the others like that, in that it's not very scary and, frankly, not very good either. But there we go. I, At least it's not torture porn, which uh, was rapidly approaching on the horizon. Yeah, I get the impression that a lot of these films, uh, at least from the trailers, which enhance this effect, they're, they're really there perversely for horror to say, you know how this stuff works, it's more of the same thing that you already understand, and, and yeah. It's because when you have really unsettling, disturbing horror, people actually turns out people don't really want that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, myself included in that category, but yes. But that, that is Bob Zemeckis, so... Uh, oh, right, yeah. 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 Okay, uh, nice num- again. Number nine, uh, the pre-superhero boom X-Men, Brian Singer. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I like that when I haven't watched every superhero even let me scraped out to the bottom of the barrel and plastered onto the screen. Yeah, I, I've i seen it. I remember very little about it. Uh, it has Hugh Jackman in, and he's a hard man not to like. I fair. Particularly when he's playing Wolverine. Uh, at number eight, The Perfect Storm. Uh, oh, that's a much better book than it is a film. It has, <laughs> I mean, if you're... <laughs> it has, uh, as its hero, George Clooney playing a grizzled fisherman, and it's kind of tough, macho, grizzled catchphrase that he uses several times is, I always find the fish! And it just, it just doesn't really work as a catchphrase. Um, and also, it was real events where people really died, and um, I don't know, I don't know. It did, didn't really work for me. The, the book's very good, though. I think Sebastian Young has um, had some trouble when he then tried to write a book about the Boston Strangler later on um, actually accused someone uh, in his book. Anyway, I won't go into that. The, the book is very good um, and goes very, very in-depth about everything to do with that. Uh, but hmm. I, I can't forgive it because now whenever anything happens uh, to any politician, they will then say, oh, this is just a perfect storm of dot, dot, dot. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. really tired of hearing that. At number seven, Meet the Parents, a 2000 remake of a 1992 comedy, which nobody particularly liked the first time round, but it made lots of money. Uh, that's the important thing right there. Uh, Was this, uh, I think uh, yeah, it had sequels uh, as well, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Meet the Fockers and Meet the Little Fockers and all. Because that's amusing because Fokker almost sounds like another word, so it's quite funny. What, a Dutch aircraft manufacturer? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that may be, but these fuckers were in Esh- uh, Messerschmitts. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, num- number six, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, yeah. Number five, interesting that it's up, up this high, um, the Disney animated dinosaur. Oh, okay. Which, you know, I mean, it's Disney, it's got no plot, but they did actually make put quite a lot of effort into... Getting the animation to work, it it was probably the most expensive computer animation animated film to date. Yeah. They talked to yeah. actual paleontologists. That that very rare thing in, in a dinosaur film. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I certainly didn't do it. I've listened to oh, you listen to Terrible Lizards, don't you? That's always fun mm-hmm. when you get some to Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, but but, but uh, yeah, yeah, just okay. in terms of influence, I, I think this got a lot of kids interested in dinosaurs. So you know, that's no bad. Not thing. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Uh, number four, What Women Want. Uh, Mel Gibson again. Back when, uh, back that's when, when he can... people wanted to see him. 
Oh, well, it turns out that women. Um, I, I've, I've never I, I felt the slightest bit of interest in watching that film. Mm. Turns out women have thoughts, and if you are able to understand that they have thoughts, this is somehow a revelatory thought to some type. Of people. Yeah, reminds me. Do, do you know the the Turing? Obviously, you know the Turing test. Originally, yes. it was. Can, can a computer scientist tell the difference between a computer on the other end of the of the teletype and a woman? Oh my god! <laughs> Seems see to be alien beings. Uh, well, okay. exactly. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, number Thanks. three, Castaway. That's another one we might have considered. The Tom Hanks. Uh, I've seen that one, um, and I'm still traumatised by uh, Wilson. No, sorry, spoilers, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have not seen it, but I felt no particular inclination to. So it's uh, it's. It's good. It's Tom Hanks being good, Robert Zemeckis being competent, and an all right film. Hmm. Uh, number two, Gladiator, uh, which is yeah one of those cases where where the Academy Awards line up with the box office. They they always like to when they can, but they don't like to be too obvious about it. I think. But yeah, it's historical drama, so it's epic, so that's I, fine. I found. I, I mean, I enjoy a bit like the Lord of the Rings films. Actually, I just found it strangely. Clinical, and it just didn't quite touch me in any way. Mm. Um, it was all very good and very competent, and went to the cinema and, and felt like I was having a good time, but it just didn't really move me, ultimately. And at number one, we, we've talked about my relationship with the series a bit already, uh, Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2, okay. Uh yeah, I, th- I it, it lost me in Mission Impossible One, where they kill off the old Mission yeah, Impossible people. Yeah, that, right that's very much, very much my approach. You, you're going to make the the thing. There, there are lots of films about spies doing stuff, heist films, whatever. If you're going to call yeah. it Mission Impossible, you make it a bit like Mission Impossible. Is my feeling? But, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, they seem to have no interest in doing that. This was also the point at which I really stopped taking John Woo seriously. Uh, right. Okay. Um, we were talking about uh, Crouching Tiger. I mean, he he came over to Hollywood in uh, ninety two, ninety three. He'd just made Hard Boiled, which was superb. I should really watch Hard Boiled, yes. And then in ninety three, he made Hard Target, which is a Van Damme. Yes. I mean, yes so it's I not was. bad, but it's not. It's not John Woo. <laughs> and and then Broken Arrow. Face off! Oh goodness, I didn't even. Oh my god, yes, I've seen. I've seen both of those. Goodness me! I was thinking I haven't seen John Woo films, but you're right, I have. But and, then and it's this. just like a generic action director yeah. in those. And and then then he did get back to uh, China and made Red Cliff in 2008, 2009, which is just amazing and superb. And my goodness, you should you need to see this film. But okay, all right, well, yeah. But I, whether I it will be a subject of of this, I don't know. It, there's a lot okay. of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll see how we get on. But uh, all right, duly noted. And yeah, so that's that. Well, that draws us to the end of uh, the last millennium, uh, if you like, if you like, Roger. Um, and yes, we... I, I, I was working on New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety-nine to two thousand. Yes, yeah, so was I. Yeah, I was <laughs> a young man. If I, I saw in the. I'm not allowed to say I saw it in the millennium, but I, I saw it in with a seizuring um, Springer Spaniel, and it all ended up quite quite happily. So there we go. That was a nice, nice evening for us. Right. Um, but yes, we, we, we move into the 21st century. That's right. We're now dragged into the 21st century. You, you can claim we have already, but you would be wrong. <laughs> um, Douglas Adams did a very good article called The Pedant Revolt about, <laughs> about <laughs> the millennium. Uh, but, uh, 
uh, but all right, fair enough. Um, all right, we will return. 